you know that God calls you to wonderful things and he has defined you and he recognizes you and he calls your name. Don't be like that. Straighten up. <laughs> Welcome to Positively Joy, a podcast on searching for the light all around us in all seasons of life. We look for God in the everyday and choose joy even in the hard times. I'm your host, Yvette Walker. I'd love for you to become a part of our online podcast family at PositivelyJoy.com. Today, our guest is Grace Evans, a woman with unflappable trust in God. Grace lost her job during the pandemic, but she never lost her faith. She recently got a new job, and I thought it was a perfect time to celebrate her faithfulness. Grace, hi. Thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. I don't think I'm remarkable, but I appreciate the invitation. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're here because I think your story is going to resonate with a lot of people. uh, And that's uh, you have um, you lost a job and you found a job during Mm -hmm. this, this very challenging and difficult time that we've had during the pandemic. So first of all, congratulations. That is really exciting. Yes. Um, So for full transparency, uh, I know Grace. Grace goes to my church and many of us have been um, really cheering her on as she was in the process for for getting a new position. Um, But again, I thought her story was really special because not only did she never, and I just told her this, at least to me, it seemed like she never lost hope but she also never, ever lost faith or or lost hope in God. And so I want to talk to her about that. Um, But again, congratulations. You are the administrative assistant at Oklahoma Environmental Services. And you just told me that um, it's a company that reclaims brown fields, which you've explained to me is a a piece of land that has oil or or a contaminant has leaked into the ground. Um, That's really important here in Oklahoma, isn't it? It is. It is. There's more land than we are even aware of that is impacted by activity that probably happened generations before us. And we're going in and we're taking care of the environment and being a good steward. Wow. So administrative assistant, or as you told me, tell me the story about uh, the skills that would lead you to being called high ops, which I think is very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, So I have built a career supporting infrastructure engineering. So through that, I've um, acquired some training and some skill sets of um, writing internal policy for businesses and helping businesses understand how they do a process and why they do a process and to make that process more efficient for their business Mm. in the long run. So at the beginning of the 12 weeks of unemployment, I experienced this most recently, my friend, um, called me. He said, Hey, I need you to come and help me with my businesses. I need you to be my high ops person to come in and write processes and put in place processes so that things can get done and I can move forward in my business. And I was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I did not know what that meant. Um, and how, how many twists and turns the 12 weeks would take me. Um, but I feel like I came out of that time frame or that 12 weeks with a forever friend, 
um, and a relationship with his businesses that I would never have had and relationship with his employees and um, the people that he does work with that have made my life better and make me a better steward and a better citizen in the world that I live in. So, so let's go back to the beginning of the 12 weeks after you lost your position. How were you feeling? Um, I was pretty anxious because I, I am a student of the economy. Um, I have a business degree and I am a forever learner. So I had been already looking at the economy probably since the previous fall. Um, because when we got to September 10th last year in 2019, we had hit all eight markers of a recession Mm. as we had known it in American economy. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm wondering where is this going to happen? What's going to be the bubble? Because all of the other circumstantial definitions of what a bubble couldn't be happening in any other place in our economy. Like previously we had had a bubble in real estate. Another example of a bubble was in our tech industry. Um, And those led into some really deep recessions, but then we were able to come out of them Mm -hmm. rather quickly in regards, it was not as devastating. I mean, it might've been devastating interest wise and compounding interest on people's investments, but it wasn't the ones that we've experienced since, you know, 2000, I think 1999. And then we had one in 2008. And then um, we had another one around 2012, what was considered to be a recession. Okay. And so I'm just kind of waiting. I'm just kind of waiting and watching the economy. And the first thing I noticed was there was, we had this really fast run at the beginning of 2019 of infrastructure contracts. Like a lot of people in cities and governments and large engineering firms were ordering our product. And then all of a sudden, everything stopped all they were calling us as a manufacturer and they were saying, Hey, we need to put a pause on this because we don't know where we're going with this project. It would be just kind of weird things. And you're like, okay, you just bought a $5 million distiller. Why are you saying this? (laughs) (laughs) So We were being responsive as a business at that time. And then all of a sudden we started to see these videos coming out of Italy and we were like, what in the world is happening over on the other side of the world? And at the same time, our economists commentary people were saying, well, you need to understand that China and Italy are very integrated and, you know, it was all this discussion going on all over the place. And then all of a sudden they walk in and they say, okay, we're going to let you go, Grace. Wow. And and when was this? It was June 27th. Okay. So your concerns that were raised were, were raised in 2019 and really before most mm-hmm. of us, most of us, any of us, I guess, knew about the pandemic. And then of course, um, beginning of the year comes, many of us still don't have much of a clue. We didn't really realize what was going on until March. It seemed like spring break mm-hmm. for a lot of people. That was the inkling. Um, yeah, yeah. Now by then you still had your position, but by then did you really see some difficult things happening in your business? 
I did. And um, because then everything stopped, like all of our foreign um, communication with um, future bids and all that stuff just stopped. And um, I just knew that if stuff is stopping on the other side of the world, there's a wave coming that we can't define yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big concern was, okay, um, we have to finish these projects. We understand that some of these parts are coming from or are, or are being sourced from places that we can't control that chain of custody. And so the attention quickly moved from, okay, let's keep feeding the machine of progress. It became, let's focus on where this stuff is coming from. And we started spending a lot of intense energy looking at where our products were coming from and making sure that they would still be in good condition when they got to the United States, if they were being imported or if people further up the chain in United States manufacturing were having a hard time because we were sourcing out of the East coast versus Houston, Texas, or something like that. Government was, you know, saying, Oh, we're, we're going to slow things down. We'll keep the essential businesses open. And then it became, Oh, am I essential enough? And when I started to think about that essentiality, what makes a person essential? And I always thought, well, business and accounting and finance, that's a pretty safe place to be. That's a pretty recession-proof land because everybody needs an account. Everybody needs a check to be cut. And I was the one that was cutting the checks. So I thought, okay, I'm pretty essential. I shouldn't have any problem. The set, the day after I started really thinking, am I essential enough? I was given a letter from my employer saying you're essential. So if the police department stops you and you drive to the office, you can say, Hey, I'm essential. (laughs) So I felt pretty safe then. Um, And we did in my company, we did shut down our business. Um, Everybody was sent home. So there was nobody in the office. Everybody was at home Mm -hmm. and we worked from home for 30 days, just like the rest of the company or rest of the country. But because we were in oil and gas and we're DC, deemed essential enough, the government came in and protected our payroll. Okay. And so while the government had come in and and protected our payroll, I just went back to work and didn't, I thought, oh, this is going to be the dawn of the new day, like the rest of a lot of Americans. (laughs) But then when the paycheck protection program ended, so did my job. And so did my security and so did my perceived essentiality. So you you just said, you just said my perceived essentiality. I think that's interesting. Did you have, did you question your worth at that time? I think I did go through a stage of questioning my worth, but I also came home and I prayed with my husband and he was like, Grace, I'm getting anxious again. I'm like, you know what? This is oil and gas. And you have to, when you take that risk, when you get into that industry, you just roll with it. And I said, there's something else out there for me. I don't know what it is. I hope it's something that it's stuff that I like. And I hope that I can get out of oil and gas. I said, but we have to be realistic. This is an employer's market. Suddenly it's no longer an employee's market my salary will no longer be something that I can dictate. My salary will be something that I'm perceived valuable in. Mm -hmm. And um, 
giving awareness and just power to those words, sometimes just putting stuff out in the universe helps me to really understand the gravity of, of what that situation is. So, um, I said, I just told my husband, like, you know what? I think we're going to be blessed. You just got to roll with it for a minute. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) He goes, it's hard for me to roll with it. And I'm like, I know, but you just got to roll with it because this is the, this is the situation that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. So So I found myself where I had, um, I don't know how to approach this, but so I had grown up, um, in a very, um, kind of unstable life. (laughs) My mom was a single parent. Um, and we had had a lot of traumatic things happen in my life early on. And when I was a child, I would say, I am not ever going to be in a position where I have to get benefits from the government ever. Um, and some of the benefits that I had, or my mother was able to tap into when she was a single mother was, um, WIC, which is a program that provides nutrition for mothers of mothers and their infants. And because I was a child in her household, I was able to be a beneficiary of that. Um, but my mother also was a professional. She's a nurse and she made 75 cents more than what was allowed by the time my youngest sibling was two. And so our benefits were cut off very abruptly and was a really hard season for my family. And I just remember very distinctly what that felt like mm-hmm. to be hungry as a child and to have food insecurity. And um, so another thing that happened in that timeline in our history, um, this was before we had the FDIC instated in most of the banks that we have now. And, um, and just a second, in case there's anyone who's not familiar with that, what does that stand for and what does that do for banking um so the federal department of insurance i think i don't know what it means i'll have to look that up (laughs) well you know you know what it means (laughs) it means bank security is what it means yeah it's an agency that comes in that was guided by the government to create security for banks and um so right now the limit is like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars but before it used to be just only like two thousand dollars that was like like in the mid to late 80s is when it was first established it used to be just like two thousand dollars all the banks had to secure enough funds for all their depositors to be able to get two thousand dollars out of their bank if the bank failed if the bank failed and and there is the classic happens to be a christmas movie that i think people can refer to it's a wonderful life. And everybody remembers that scene where there's the run on the bank right. and the question that everyone would not be able to get money out of their bank. And so right. you're talking about the government, you know, guaranteeing if you've got savings in the bank, you're going to be able to get your money out. Right. Right. Okay. So there was a season in the eighties where we didn't have very good structured laws like that in our banking system. And my mom lost all of her money. Wow. Um, And she was a single parent and she was like, what do I do? I can't pay my rent, you know, all that stuff. And so um, from that season, I learned um, God does provide and God did provide. He provided food for us and we were not food insecure for a good year after that because 
of people that he had placed in our lives that were provisional and provided for us. And I think that's probably where my faith started to be aware of God's provision and to be able to accept God's provision in ways that I would not be able to provide for myself or even provide structurally for myself. And that story is, is important because I was really, I kind of regressed for a day or so from the shock of you no longer have a job. You no longer have health insurance. You no longer have your 401k, you know, (laughs) the things that you're securing for your family, you are now in your mother's place back in 1985 or 1986, whenever that happened. Wow. I can, I can imagine how you, how you felt, how you felt really just like that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day, um, my friend, he's a businessman here in town and, um, the name of his coffee shops are not your average Joe. And he is a man with a mission and he is a man that's driven by mission. And, um, um, he has a coffee roaster that's called Compadres Coffee Roasters. And, um, as you can tell by the name of his businesses, he tries to create fellowship in what he does. So he puts his name of fellowship on his businesses. Um, he had the coffee roaster before he had the coffee shops and, um, the coffee roaster, um, was something that grew out of a dream with him and some friends over some coffee. He's a former minister and, um, he just wanted to have coffee. That was, that was the intentional purpose of fellowship. Mm. And so he has a special, he has a couple different brews in his coffee and one of them's called not your average Joe. And what he had been doing with not your average Joe was, um, giving a proceeds of its royalties, the sales of the not your average Joe been giving that to, um, someone who was not your average Joe, like your local police department or someone with special needs or, someone who needed to have some medical bills paid off, you know, some of the same things that um, some of the churches around here that they intentionally seek out opportunities to help others in their lives. And so he would, you know, send the proceeds once a month to not your average Joe. Nice. (laughs) Nice. He would, he did, he had a whole bunch of people that he helped, but Um, about two years ago, he was approached by a local coffee, um, house owner and he was asked if he would buy his, he was like, I'm not going to get in the coffee business, but he, um, told, he shared the dream with some friends and they created, um, a not-for-profit agency called Not Your Average Joe. And what they do is they provide, they have coffee shops and they provide jobs for adults with special needs. And not just jobs, they provide career opportunities so that if someone wants a career in coffee or wants to learn how to run a business or wants to be a barista, they have that opportunity with the Not Your Average Joe platform and the Not Your Average Joe coffee shops. So it's it's a really exciting concept. He's been doing it for two years in Midtown at 10th and Walker, and he's been very successful. He has He employs... People, he employs adults with special needs and he employs regular people and um, they work side by side. 
and they sell exceptional coffee and there are even better people inside. (laughs) (laughs) And he asked you to help him, but maybe Mm -hmm. in a way he was helping you too. Yeah. He said, okay, whatever, whatever you were making, tell me. And then what you were not making, um, what unemployment falls short, I'll make up in the process. So as we um, proceeded on with his businesses, he's he's has several things that he has to get in line. He has several, he's building the flagship store right now on OU's campus and it's expected to open. I was hoping I would be able to be with him and shepherd the opening of that flagship store for him, but time just didn't work out for me to do that. <laughs> but they're supposed to open in the next three weeks and it will be a special spot on campus. And it will be a place where there'll be community and there'll be wonderful coffee because they'll be pulling fresh espresso every day. <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. But as you can imagine, with that kind of of lion's share of work, he has to he's increasing his employee level for load. So because he's having more it's a larger shop, so he's having more more hours to work and so he's and he's providing almost a one-to-one balance of adults with special needs and adults fully capacitated to work in his shop and so um, he really needed someone to be able to come in and help create structure and say okay this is how you pull an espresso this is how you make a mocha java frappe this is how you make a sandwich and getting those kind of things in line for his, so it's spelled out, so it's visual, so we can have, um, it goes all the way down to the point of sale in the store. You know, is it visual enough? Is it easy enough to toggle through the different options for a person with maybe delayed understanding or poor vision or who's deaf or, you know, what, what are the how are the ways that we can help this person to be successful and still feel like they're they're contributing it and that they have an essential purpose with what they're doing in that moment so so this is this kind of blows my mind a little bit because you you were in a job that you liked and the economy was such that they had to to let you go and then a person who is doing some extraordinary community work asks you to help him. And I can only imagine that you grew. I mean, there was, there was 12 weeks of unemployment, Mm -hmm. but you got a chance to work with him during most of that time. And I can imagine that you grew even while you were in a time of uncertainty Mm -hmm. and questioning what was going to happen. And you probably know how to make a pretty, Darn good cup of coffee now, huh? Well, what about that? <laughs> well, you wrote the processes for it anyway. <laughs> yeah. They helped try to. And I got coffee pulled for me every day. That was the good part. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but when I fully endorse the whole process. But yeah, I did learn a lot. And I also learned um, how to be confident, quietly confident in the skills that I have. Because he recognized it in me and he kept, he was like my cheerleader every day. And um, he, we live in the same town. So I would drive over and I'd pick him up and I would be like, 
we kind of were us against the world for those 12 weeks. I would pick him up and he would do his business on the phone while I would drive us to wherever we were going. Some days we would fellowship and talk about spiritual things. Some days we would start our morning with prayer because we knew, hey, we're going to do some serious stuff today and Satan is going to be calling on us and beating us down at every turn. There would be times that we would turn to each other and we'd say, no, don't be like that. You know that God calls you to wonderful things and he has defined you and he recognizes you and he calls your name. Don't be like that. Straighten up. and we were each other's it was nice it was a blessing truly just to be in that space with him to have that business riff back and forth but also have that spiritual riff back and forth with each other encouraging encouraging each other admonishing each other sometimes if we needed to um fellowshipping everywhere we went that was that was a big thing it was really a So sometimes we are in a situation where we are full of doubt and uncertainty and we are able to find a group of people or someone that can be our cheerleader or that can show us and remind us, I should say the word, remind us that God is always there uh, with us. And I have to, um, I have to mention something today. So my listeners know about um, my little scripture jar that I pull a scripture out of. And mm-hmm. I, I got busy today, so I didn't get a chance to actually post it. But it's from Job. <laughs> and it happens, and 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 the the scripture has my name in it because that's how the person made it for uh-huh. me. But it says, my, my spirit made you, Yvette, and my breath gives you life from Job. So we may be in a, we may be in a, in a season where we, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, we're full of uncertainty, questioning, Maybe there's somebody there, but, but now you have another job that you must turn your full attention to. So you Mm -hmm. are not in, I mean, you may go get coffee there, but you're not in that crew anymore. So Mm -hmm. now how are you going to maintain, keep your eye on the spiritual ball and know that uh, my spirit made you grace and my, (laughs) and my breath gives you life. I mean, how are you going to remember that? How, how should we, how should, you know, there might be listeners out there who, um, who are in a situation where they, they need some encouragement. How can they keep that top of mind? You know, um, one of my favorite scriptures, it's one, I have a friend, um, who we, we, since college, we have gone back and forth and encouraged each other with scripture and stuff. And uh, he's, Whenever I say, oh, this is really bothering me, he's like, do not lean on your own understanding. (laughs) Were you in the word this morning, Sister Grace? And I was like, oh, maybe not as much as I needed to be. And he's like, get in the word. Do not lean on your own understanding. You do not understand God's ways. Get in there. (laughs) So so the big thing for me is I now have a 45-minute commute, and I listen to scripture on the way to the office. Perfect. And that's what I do. I'm also a part of a, all this time I've been able to stay involved. I have two um, Bible studies, one that I'm with you in. Yes. And then one that I is called a 260 and it's a discipleship track. Um, And it teaches you how to read scripture 
and to be able to um, just carry it with you everywhere you go and understand it. And you go through the whole Bible in one year. So right now we're like 90, 95 days into the year. Maybe, well, we're probably a little bit more than that. Um, but we didn't start until June. So we're just 90 days into this process. Yeah. And um, it has it has made me go back and look at scripture and read scripture and, and pick it up and pick up new things that um, I didn't pick up when I first read that section of scripture. Um, right now we're finishing um, David's life in first and second Samuel. And um, just seeing some of the things like today I was, I was reading um, in first Samuel chapter 21 through 24. And in that section, that's when David is like, there's so much chaos and calamity happening at every turn. And he's anxious, overran with anxious. And at this time, he also writes Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, I don't know if you've re read it or listened to it recently, but it opens, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is David. He's in the cave hiding from Saul because Saul's, you know, trying to, trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, what was striking to me is like, oh my goodness, those were not Jesus's original words on the cross. David said those same words. And, um, I have, I listen, I'm a musician. I went to college on a vocal scholarship. And so music really speaks to me and music is also a peaceful place for me. So a lot of times when I find a scripture that just really kind of just like yells at me. Um, I try to go in and find music that um, has been made for it because I don't necessarily, I'm like the voice of the writer, but I'm not the writer <laughs> of a song. You know, I'm not a lyricist, but I am the voice of a lyricist. And, and I have been for almost 30 years of my 40 plus years. Do you, do you write music? I don't, but I sing and my, I have a sister who writes and, and so she'll, we'll collaborate <laughs> once in a while. We haven't done anything special or fantastic, but, um, but when we're together, she pulls out her guitar and we just spend time just using our gifts of singing and making music. And, um, but, um, but I always find another way to hear that scripture. And that's one thing that I've always carried with me. Even when I was a very young child, I used to walk by um, the Methodist church in my town. It was on the way to school and it would toll its bell at, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning on my way to school. And I would sing along with the hymns that would be tolling in the bell <laughs> on my way to school. You know, so it's something that has always been a part of me and been a part of my morning practice. And it wasn't until I got maybe like in the last five or six years, I was um, reading an Eric Metaxas book on um, Bonhoeffer. And he really goes through and analyzes Bonhoeffer's um, practice of teaching and, and different things. And I really wasn't aware of some of the things and practices that I picked up in college were things that Bonhoeffer had been teaching his priest to prepare them for, you know, the dark time of World War II. And the first thing that 
Bonhoeffer taught was to wake up in the morning and sing praise to the Lord out loud, robustly. (laughs) (laughs) And so if I'm not, if I finish my scripture before I make it to my destination, then I definitely turn on my praise music and I robustly sing because um, worship is study, worship is prayer, and worship is worship. And you need to have all three pieces active in your day, throughout your day, for you to be able to not lean on your own understanding and not get wrapped up in the anxieties of the world, but to be able to recall God's word and recall God's word in a way that comforts and um, allows you to be in communion with him and the Holy Spirit as you progress through the day. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So, um, so I wasn't going to ask you this, um, but would you like to share a bit of praise? Would you like to sing something? Um, yeah, I'll sing something. I don't know how well it'll work, but I'll sing. Okay. (laughs) Um, when you asked me that this, this song came to mind. So Come, let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all God. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is as he made it. And his hands form the dry land. That is beautiful. What's the name and who is that by? That's a song that I, that's from, that's probably by David because it's scripture. (laughs) (laughs) It's from the Psalms. I'll have to look it up. Um, Well, I mean, you you just knew that. I mean, so I'm looking at you now and I know people can't see you, but you did. I mean, I don't think you looked anything up. You just burst out in song. Yep. (laughs) I mean, that's just a song that I, I learned as a little girl and I've just always sang it. It's beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for, well, you know, I thought you were going to say, oh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. But no, you're like, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Come on. Yay. I'm ride or die sometimes. Listen, <laughs> listen, there's even, there's like nothing I can ask you that's going to end this show better than that. So um, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for helping those out there who may still be looking, who may still be questioning to know that God is there and that um, turn to his, to his word and lean not on your own understanding and it's going to be okay. Yep. There is a place that's being designed for you. I mean, even in this conversation, I haven't even had the chance to tell you that this place was designed for me. It's peaceful. It's quiet. There's, they're confident in my abilities. They've opened up all of their accounts and, said, okay, run with it. And I just can't think of a better place to land, you know, and feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at home through this. I've had, um, some key people in my Bible studies that I've mentioned that have said, Grace, I know there is a place that is being prepared for you. There is a specific place that's being prepared for you. And that's exactly what has happened. You know, they, I was speaking to the person the other day who was, um, who's like my supervisor. And I said, well, how long have you been without an administrator? And she said, since July. And she goes, since July, we've been trying to find the right to, de- to define the role 
to what we really needed. We really needed to be very specific of what we were looking for, how we were going to implement that person into our team and what that person was going to mean for us. And Grace, you were the best candidate that we saw. So there was just that time, that 12 weeks is what needed to be happening for them to be ready for me and for me to be ready for them. Yeah, because if it happened any earlier, they might not have truly defined the role that they needed. And mm-hmm. they may have and they may have needed something different than what you could give, but they determined that that's what they needed and you were that right person. And, you yeah. know, you know, we hear that God's working in the background, that it looks like he's not working, but he is. But look at those three months. Mm-hmm. He needed that to get it all together just mm-hmm. for you. Wow. God's time is not our time and we just have to be patient and and, you know, know it. I, I had lunch today with a friend who worked in a similar firm um, with me probably about 10, 12 years ago. And she's Grace, I know that this is your space and I am confident that this is where you need to be. And I'm just so glad that we've had this opportunity to reconnect because of the shared business. So I was, it was nice because I was able to renew relationships, professional relationships from a previous time and um, have a shared responsibilities and expectations professionally, and then also have that embrace of a friendship again. Wow. Wow. That's just so beautiful. So I don't know, just double, double, triple congratulations. And you are just beaming now. You were smiling. You were just beaming. I know know that you're in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, I am. All right. Well, I I need to mention, because you, you mentioned that this, this is the place that you needed. Um, and, and I, I forget exactly how you said it, but it reminded me of the new song by Victory Family Worship. Yeah. It came out, A Place to Stay. And mm-hmm. I forget exactly how you said it, but if you said it something like that, that this is your place. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's such an encouraging song. And I in, uh, encourage everybody to go check it out. Victory Family Worship, A Place to Stay. You can find them on Spotify and on um, Apple Music, mm-hmm. um, but probably other places too. So um, wherever you download music, it's there. I yeah. promise. I looked. Yeah, I, and I downloaded it today. It's it's really great. But it is yeah. it is encouraging, and it reminds us through Scripture um, when they talk about Ephesians. I mean, there's the Bible is our soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's our soundtrack. Yeah. It's our, it's our journal. It's our guide. It's all those things. Mm-hmm. If we just would take a look at and, and really yeah. kind of delve into it. Um, There's a lot of things in the lyrics of the song that you just mentioned, A Place to Stay, that um, when I first listened to it, I was like, oh, well, I've heard that before in scripture. Well, I've heard that before too. You know, so the lyricist, whoever wrote the song, um, they were very intentional with how they placed the words and how they built the story of the song. And I, it's really just a great song. It will bless you just to hear it. I agree. I agree. Bless me this morning. And I really encourage everybody to check it out. Grace, thank you so much for, for talking to us today. You know, you and I had been talking about maybe coming on the show because I, because I could see in you that you had hope and you were not giving up on God. And rightly you said, I don't think it's time yet. Let's wait. And mm-hmm. so it, and so just like 
you're in the right space, this was the right time for you to come on. And so thank you for blessing us with that. Well, thank you. It was, it was a joy. Thank you to Grace for singing for us. I, I really didn't know that was going to happen, guys. That is a surprise as much for you as for me. And the encouragement that she left for everybody about waiting on God's timing and knowing that he's always there, even when we are in the waiting. This has been Positively Joy. Thanks so much for listening. Go to PositivelyJoy.com for everything Positively Joy. You can find past episodes. Leave us feedback on the podcast and what you'd like to hear. And also how to find our incredible Positively Joy merchandise. We love you guys. Come back next week and farewell for now.